You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome to episode 72 of Distilling Theology. I'm your co-host, Blake Courtright, in the uh, now sunny and toasty upstate New York, uh, joined by my co-host, Justin Van Riper. What's going on, dude? Um, well, it's warm. It is sunny. Mm. Fortunately, it's not that humid. Uh, it could mm. certainly be a lot worse. Um, but it's going well. Long time no see. It's been a whopping 24 hours. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> We're recording these episodes back to back. Unfortunately, I still don't have my new mic, so I'm still on the old technology. But, uh, you know, uh, baby steps, as That's they true. say. Actually, it'll be a little while before you guys hear it because uh, the episode that will follow this one uh, was recorded almost a month ago. So it's getting crazy. We got some time warp stuff going on. Pretty, pretty (laughs) awesome. Um, You know, this is uh, part seven of our Theology Proper series that began last May. Uh, So that's kind of cool. And it's part three of our uh, Trinity mini-series. You know, you could say it's the final episode in our uh, subsistence of Trinity episodes within the existence uh, or the substance of the Theology Proper uh, series. I regret that immediately. The final countdown. There was definitely some Harrison. Also, <laughs> as we said the last two weeks, uh, we just got to be careful. We may accidentally say something heretical this week. So, you know, call us out yeah. if we do, because we don't want to say heretical things. But these episodes are recorded back to back. So if we said anything last week, uh, we didn't have time to issue a correction by the time this episode was recorded. Whoops. True. On that note, what's in our glass tonight, dude? I am very excited. Uh, It is another sent in by our friend Matthews. Whoa. What? Yes, big thanks. This is a Lagavulin 12 cask strength Lagavulin. Um, I'm very excited. It smells delicious. Um, It is bottled at 57.7. Percent alcohol per volume or 115.4 proof. So it's going to be a strong and delicious boy. I already know it. Um, it smells incredible. Mm. Um, Blake, is there anything special about this that you know? Or can we just uh, dive in? So the Lagavulin Distillery was established in 1816, and this whiskey was crafted as a 200th anniversary whiskey um, bottled in 2016. So it's limited edition. Uh, and as I recall, I think they still do these and I can just never find them in my area. So thank you for sending us the sample. As I recall, like they'll be bottled at different strengths, whereas like Lagavulin 8, Lagavulin 16, their mainstay releases are always bottled at the same proof. Um, so it's fun to have a cask strength whiskey from Lagavulin. What do you smell? Let's take a sniff. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there's a very intense peaty aroma. Lots Make of smoke and wood spices. I'm almost Ooh, getting this. Well, I was gonna. I was. I'm almost getting like a like an Earl Grey tea. Yeah, this is complex. With some vanilla. I do some get honey that. Oak. Yeah, I do get that Legavulin 
meatiness like brisket as well yes. coming through yes. and some salted pork. Salted pork. Man, I could really go for a brisket right now. I'm not going to lie. The, dude, the, this the, is the, the way. summer heat, dude, and the grill's out, man. I need a good smoker. I really do. And the Lagavulin. This is, this is what's up, man. Yeah, and I do get a little bit of like Granny Smith apple as well. Okay. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that very bright tart apple scent. Um, that's kind of crisp around the edge. Dude, I wish I, I say this often, but I wish this could be a cologne. This would be so good. Mm. I could smell this all day. A beard oil. A beard oil. A beard oil. The distilling theology grooming products line. This Yo, I'm it. in. Let's do it. We have the uh we have the sixteen eighty nine cent. Yeah, oh. the sixteen forty six. Uh, here we yeah, have the sixteen eighty nine. Is just a, a a less good copy. So you know, <laughs> of the sixteen forty four Baptist. No man, this smells amazing. Matthews, thank you very much, and to you guys listening, cheers. Mm. Yeah, here we go, boy. I'm excited. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh man, Woo! what a balance of like vanilla. Honey, honeyed oak, brisket, smoke, caramel. Oh man! And there's some there's good, a like, bit of, there's like cigar smoke in there as well. Yeah, I would say yeah. I was I was gonna say maybe some maybe some smoke, um, like you said, cigar smoke, and then almost like a like a yeah. As it sits, a little bit of fruitiness with the peat smoke. Um, mm. It's not like bold mm-hmm. fruitiness by any means, but it's very subtle. It's got a long finish, and that cask strength does wonders for the Lagavulin. That's like, mm-hmm. woo, that just dials it in, man. It's like, it brings a little bit of the burn back that mm-hmm. complements that very well. But it's not, it's not as dry as I expected it to be. No, um, it's very a little bit warm, more, like you said, that dry. honey and the fruit in there than I was anticipating. So, mm. oh, I only wish I had more, and that's. That's all I have to say about that. Oh, yeah, same, dude. I got to mm. track down a bottle of this now. Wow. Mm. It heats up quick when it hits the tongue. Yeah, it's I like, mean, it's- especially the back of the mouth, it's like, hello. Whoosh. <laughs> so oh, when I great. when I tasted um, Octomore with james labelle back on episode 43 um i had like this experience but dialed up almost double like that was so intense mm-hmm. but uh the same kind of just like billowing smoke heat some nice sweet um like darker sweet notes and then a little bit of that dried fruit through the middle like that's really good yeah this is i love absolutely it absolutely delicious well, thank you again, Matthews, and thank you to everybody who's who's sent in some stuff for us to be able to taste. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's proof absolutely. of grace because uh, we certainly <laughs> didn't do anything to deserve it. So, thank you guys for no, sharing, absolutely. sharing with us. Um, and on that note, Justin, uh, it's grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And uh, on that note, would you lead us in some prayer tonight from the Valley of Vision? I absolutely would love nothing more. So, uh, if you have a Valley of Vision, uh, please join with us. Uh, Turn to page 40. Um, We are going to be reading and praying Christ alone. O God, thy main plan and the end of thy will is to make Christ glorious and beloved in heaven, where he is now ascended, where one day all the elect will behold his glory, 
and love and glorify him forever. Though here I love him but a little, may this portion, may this be my portion at last. In this world thou hast given me a beginning. One day it will be perfected in the realm above. Thou hast helped me to see and know Christ. Through obscurely, to take him, receive him, to possess him, love him, to bless him in my heart, mouth, life. Let me study and stand for discipline, and let all the ways of worship, out of love for Christ, and to show my thankfulness, to seek and know his will from love, to hold it in love, and to daily care for and keep this state of heart. Thou hast led me to place all my nature and happiness in oneness with Christ, in having heart and mind centered only on him, in being like him, in communicating good to others. This is my heaven on earth. But I need the force, energy, impulses of thy spirit to carry me on my way to my Jerusalem. Here it is my duty to be as Christ in this world, to do what he would do, to live as he would live to walk in love and meekness, then would he be known, then would I have peace in death. Amen, man. That is so good. Every time. Indeed. You know what else Every is good? Time. Oh, tell me. The nature of God. Oh, it is amen. good. The Trinitarian God that we worship and love and adore. By the way, we're going to be talking about the Trinity some more tonight. Whoa. So <laughs> welcome. Welcome back. Um, Again, we are going to expound a little bit on Trinitarian theology tonight, um, mm-hmm. or this morning, or whenever you decide to listen to this episode, whatever Indeed. time it is for you. Um, so, Blake, why don't you lead us in sure. uh, with some of these notes, and we will see where it goes. Indeed. So I wanted to lead into this episode by saying, like, you know, two weeks ago we did our introduction to the Trinity, and really just trying to intro- introduce the creeds and confessions. Um, and the reason we wanted to do that was this is a doctrine that is helpful to read with the church, historic, the church Catholic. Um, it's helpful to get a framework of what we're walking into because it's very easy to go awry. As we looked at last week with heresy and how often the heretics, um, in many ways are better studied in their scriptures than most of the Orthodox people that are just reading, you know, your, your average believer in a church, um, is often less biblically literate, which is which is sad, and that's a, a lack of mm, catechesis in true. our churches. But they're less biblically and theologically literate than a lot of the people who are Unitarians or you know in these other groups, um, and that's partly birthed out of necessity in those groups. Um, so because of that, we wanted to give these introductory episodes, look into heresy, and so this week we're going to try to dig a little bit more into some of the implications of Trinitarianism as well as some of the texts that uh, that are the basis for it. Now, I do want to expand this a little further and say, like, this is just a preface. Like, these three episodes are in no way comprehensive, and uh, we want to recommend some resources and some other uh, shows to check out in the Society of Reformed Podcasters later to to go even further, and then obviously books to read that, that will take you further. Like, this mm-hmm. doctrine can take a lifetime of study and still be uncovering things, uh, even within the knowledge that the church has studied over the last 2,000 years. So, just want to lead in with all that. And, and to say, you know, Justin, the Trinity is a really useless doctrine. Indeed, it is useless. Hmm. Awkward long pause to make everybody uncomfortable. It is, yeah. 
<laughs> it's useless in the sense uh, that its significance does not come from its practical usefulness mm. uh, in daily life, right? With social issues or things like that. Um, the doctrine of the Trinity is meant solely for us to have uh, marvel and worship uh, for our God. Right. Uh, and not to extrapolate useful, useful social things out of it, uh, mm. as we see happening all over the place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which you, you were talking about a little bit before we started recording, right? Sure. Um, we see it happening with uh, all different sort of camps within the church. Um, yeah. Trying to explain away uh, different, um, using the Trinity to try to explain things like how marriage should work. or Right. <laughs> right. And, and that door, ironically, that door swings yeah. hard in both directions. You'll Indeed. have full-blown egalitarians saying, we'll see because of the co-equality of the persons of the Trinity, marriage is this way. And then you'll see patriarchalists and, and compliment, hard complementarians taking a turn and saying, well, see, because of subordinationism. Uh, and then I, I made a joke at a group that uh, I said, men, men will literally redefine the classical doctrine of God instead of going to therapy. Um, <laughs> and I stand by that joke a little bit here because the what happened with the whole EFS controversy was largely birthed out of this reading human relations into the Trinity ad intra or mm-hmm. you know, within the, the Trinitarian as God exists in himself or even ad extra. Uh, you know, the way that the Trinity interacts temporally. And in both of those cases, right, what's the, what's the big problem? It's not, the problem is not that in the incarnation that we can see humility and subordination, right? That's not the issue. The issue is this eternal thing. Um, The eternal functional subordination or the eternal subordination of the son uh, are both basically a form of like semi-Arianism, like their adoptionism, their subordinationism just birthed in a different way. And you know, you can see people using the Trinity to explain ecological things and all these pr- and, and political principles. And it's like, that's not the purpose. If, yep. if our whole goal or social justice, like if our whole goal is to explain social and human interactions by using the doctrine of the Trinity, we have we like our starting point is wrong. Yes. Right. You know, what, what does scripture tell us? Right. We exist for God's glory, not the other way around. Um the focus is on God as he is, not as we think him to be. I don't know if you had first uh, Corinthians pulled up there. I do. First nice. um, <laughs> uh, Corinthians eight. Uh, if we start at verse four, um, speaking of this exactly, it says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God, but one. Okay. So we recognize there is only one God. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there was one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist. Mm. And one mm. Lord, ready? Jesus Christ, oh. through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So we have this coupling of both God the Father and Jesus the Christ together being referred to as God, one God in the same sentence well, but Justin, it doesn't say it doesn't say one God the Father and one God Jesus Christ. So you're just isogeted. You're just reading your your you know your creeds into it, man. Yeah, I mean, if you if you are really bad at reading and thinking, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> well, and, and and I say that um, you know I, I I say that a little condescendingly, mostly sure. to myself because you know mm-hmm. that was how I that was how I would argue that text. I would say, well, it doesn't say that, but but if you look at the text, like. As you're pointing out, like let's let's look at this, right? Uh, the idol has no real existence, right? 
Uh, it's not a thing. There is no God but one. So he's talking about God and he's talking about existence. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, there are many so-called gods and there are many so-called lords. Okay. In the immediate text. Yet for us, there is one God, the father from whom are all things and from whom are all things. So like he's, there's one God who identifies as the person of the father and from the father are all things and for him we exist. Okay, but what does it say about Jesus? There's one Lord. Now, before he said there are many gods, quote unquote, and many lords, quote unquote, right? One Lord, one God. Jesus Christ. So the son is identified as the one Lord. Yep. Through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So for we exist for the father and through the son and Mm -hmm. uh, we right. Right. And for whom we exist is applied to both of them in some degree. Right. So and we, we exist thre- for the Father, and right, like you said, through the Son. Right, and and all things are from the Father, and all things are through the, through son. the son. So I right. don't know, like, <laughs> I don't know how you get around this. Right. I mean, I do, because I used to. I used to, to, but but ultimately, like, I got to a point where I couldn't unsee that. This is right in the text. We're not jumping all over. Ironically, the Jehovah's Witnesses would have a better argument here than the Unitarians in that mm. they make Jesus a god, Mm-hmm. He's just a lesser God. He's a, he's still right. a created being, but he's a created like mini God essentially. And so they would, they would actually in some capacity try to explain this away, but with the conjunction of how we understand all of scripture, it, it holds no water obviously. Right. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to harp on this verse too long, but I think it's really important, right? You look in the old Testament and we see this, especially we're going through the book of Isaiah Mm. And throughout the whole book of Isaiah, we see both uh, God's covenant name, which in the English is rendered as the Lord, capital Mm L-O-R-D, but his covenant name, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. We see that all through the book, but we also see Adonai, the Lord, Mm. right? The sovereign one all through Isaiah. And Isaiah is really clear that Yahweh alone is Lord and God and sovereign and that Yahweh is the savior of his people and that Yahweh will come for his people. And then what do we see? We see Christ coming and I don't have all those pulled up at this moment. This could be a later episode or maybe we could have someone on who's even better at this than we are. But if you look in the New Testament, Jesus and the apostles apply texts from the Old Testament prophets that spoke, if you go back to the original context, explicitly about Yahweh, God. Yes. And they apply them to Jesus, which would be blasphemous if Jesus was not God, like that well, we would see th- be a mess. We see that in the accusation of Jesus, right? Oh yeah. Uh, when they're holding him accountable, you know, they say, uh, he says many works, uh, many good works I have done for which of these do you stone me? And they say, we don't stone you for doing good works. We stone you for being a man claiming to be God. Right. Right. And then they ask him, <laughs> right? <laughs> he doesn't deny his deity. He doesn't mm-hmm. deny being God or claiming to be God. Right. Which is why, uh, for example, the atheistic arguments uh, or the the pagan arguments that Jesus was just a man, uh, right. a good, just a good teacher, just a good teacher, he's right. a good guy. What good teacher claims to be God? <laughs> right. You're either he's either a lunatic or he's lying, right? Or he is in fact Lord. He can only be right. one of those things. Right. Yeah. So the, 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 there's no there's you have to do excruciating somersaults to get out of the fact that Jesus claimed to be God. And that's why he was crucified. Right. He was crucified because 
of his claims of divinity. Yes, and we will get there in a moment. But first, I want to uh, hit a ro- Romans 11, uh, verse 33, right? We love this passage. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, quoted from Isaiah, or who has given him or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Now, OK, in first Corinthians chapter eight, Paul says all things are are uh, from the father and through the son. OK, over in Romans, Paul says to God. For th- from, from him and through and him through. and to him are all things. Yes. So we're not even jumping Paul and James and Peter as if we were going to pair them. And, and obviously, like, we do have to contextualize what they're saying because they make arguments in different ways. Sure. But we're not even doing that. We're talking about the same apostolic witness here. Mm-hmm. The same person using the same kind of arguments, the same kind of language. So did Paul just, like, mess up here and forget that? Well, actually, no, all, all things are from the Father, but they're through the Son. Did he forget that? Or is there something else going on here? And all this to say, right, the reason for studying the doctrine of the Trinity is not to bend God to us, but rather to bend our minds, wills, and actions to God, right? And Matthew Barrett in his book, Simply Trinity, makes the comment that theologians and teachers over the last century have slowly been shifting from seeing the Trinity as the cornerstone of our faith to using it to justify our social, gender, and environmental views, right? They've substituted orthodox categories of simplicity eternal generation etc for social categories such as role you know roles as relationships etc um in his book simply trinity matthew barrett writes that modern thinkers have turned theology into anthropology turning the trinity into a mirror through which we can see our own reflection and he quotes you know the, the saying that every heretic has his bible verse um and Right, that reminder which we said last week, some of the most dangerous heretics know how to quote the Bible better than anyone. So it was essential for the church to use this extra biblical language to safeguard the Bible's doctrine from manipulation. Uh, that's the reason for those texts. Yeah. So that said, though, what's the framework? Right? Why don't we confess tritheism or, or tritheism or tritheism? Right? What yeah. what does the Bible demand that prevents us from just? Because it's very easy to say, well, there's three gods. Right. And we don't say that. We we work very hard to reject that. So so why well, precisely? The I mean, uh, even if we're talking strictly Old Testament, right? There are uh, it it demands monotheism, right? Yeah. Uh, there there's no way that you can get a that you can read the Bible uh, and come up with multiple gods mm-hmm. uh, over and over again, right? There's uh, there's over six thousand uses of God's covenant name. Yahweh in the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. There are thousands of singularly used pronouns, personal pronouns that are uh, given uh, to God, uh, right? right? The New Testament ascribes deity to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit with personal distinctions, which, um, so now that we've we've gone through tritheism, that, that deals with modalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, right, we, d- despite all of this monotheistic language used to describe God, we also yeah. see plural names ascribed right. to God, right? Like Elohim. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a plural title that was used for God in the Old Testament, often used in conjunction, uh, ironically, with a singular verb. So either God <laughs> is three persons, yet one God, or there's major contradiction there. Right. Which there isn't. <laughs> sure. And and Sproul talks about this a little bit in, in the mystery of the Trinity, right? That Elohim could just be a plurality of intensity. Sure. 
but it at the very least it's compatible with the doctrine of the trinity it doesn't necessarily demand trinitarianism but it it's certainly to those who say well the trinity was just invented in the fourth century well that's not true and those who say well it's just a new testament invention that's also not really true particularly when you read some of the stuff in the old testament about the angel of the lord like there are angels throughout the bible who are named the angel of the lord shows up and people speak to him like they're speaking directly to yahweh and there's a book out about this that I've been meaning to get a hold of that I haven't dug too far into. But that so so uh, I forget who it is. is it the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons that say that the angel that that Jesus is Michael, the archangel. I believe that's the Mormons. So what's funny is there's reformed people who say that, but they mean exactly again. They mean completely different things. Right. What do the Mormons mean by it? Just as a by way of quick preface. Uh, to be honest, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Um I think it's basically the idea that Michael becomes the incarnate son, like that, that he's a creature, he's an angel, yep, where the reformed right. view is more that, no, no, the, the archangel, the angel of the Lord is like a pre-incarnation, I forget the word they use, uh, appearance of the son. Yep. Um, so th- those are very different claims. One is saying that he's, he's a different nature he's creature rather than creator the other is saying no he's god and he's manifesting in different ways and then finally you know culminating in uh the incarnation but justin what did this how did this translate to our discussion right how does this go um in the early years as we talked about last week yeah well i mean we we have to go through church history right the early church wrestled with this right how do we how do how do we affirm the the strict biblical use of monotheism uh and at the same time uh, deal with the ascriptions of deity to the Father, to the Son, to the Spirit, right? How mm. do we describe the nature of God according to what his revealed word has said? We've talked mm. about this before, this idea that we will never fully understand the Trinity in in, in nature and how mm. the Trinity works, but we know how God has revealed himself, and he's given us some measure by which to understand uh, a little bit about him. And so using this episode sponsor logos nine we're going to jump into some of the text (laughs) uh the textual basis for the trinity uh guys uh if you want probably the most comprehensive bible study software the bible software that will provide you with hundreds of books um hundreds of tools frankly at this point um Mm -hmm. it is it is incredibly powerful incredibly useful uh logos provides you with all kinds of things everything from commentaries to um confessions to books to um, tools on on building sermons, uh, counseling tools, and all kinds of things uh, yep. built in. Um, and we have been fortunate enough to be able to provide you guys with a discount, 10% off if you go to Logos9 or Logos.com slash Distilling Theology. Uh, you'll also get five free books. Um, so it has been an incredibly useful tool for us. We've been using it every episode now at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, check it out. Uh, tell your pastor, tell your friends, tell your church, tell your mother and your father i mean why tell not? them all tell them all yeah, um man. so yeah it's awesome <laughs> i mean right now i've got uh the esv open i've got calvin's institutes i had uh greek and and hebrew dictionaries so i can pull up the word like i was actually looking because i was very curious when we were reading um from first corinthians what the word existence was and it was the word for cosmos mm-hmm. uh or the or the stuff of the world right that they don't have a uh an existence in that sense, but it wasn't the word usia, but I was like, I was curious because I was like, Oh, we were just talking about that last week. Um, so it's really fun to be able to just do that on the fly. Like what word is being translated this way here and where else does this word get translated? So those tools are just incredibly useful, incredibly powerful, particularly as we study the doctrine of the Trinity. 
and we trace these words, especially when we start getting like towards John one, where we're heading in a moment, um, it gets really important. So guys head over logos.com slash distilling theology. Huge. Thank you to faith life and to logos nine for sponsoring this week's episode. And now back to the content. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we've already hinted a little bit about the monotheism demanded in the scriptures, obviously Acts 17, uh, Paul is preaching, right? And he's, and he's going through and seeing all these idols in, in the Areopagus. And then he sees the idol or, or, or the, the shrine of the unknown God. And he starts to tell them about, you know, you have all these things, but really there's only one God. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, you had the, you're very religious people. So you decided, well, just in case we missed a spot, mm-hmm. here's the, the thing to the unknown God. But he's like, let me tell you about this God that you don't know. Let me tell you who he is. Uh, and, and it's just wonderful. But obviously there's a really loud proclamation of God's monotheism in the Old Testament. I mean, that's throughout the Old Testament, but there's one in particular that every Jewish person in Old Testament times, in the days of Jesus and the apostles, and to the present day, knows inside and out. And that comes from the Shema in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. 6, which reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. <laughs> mm. I don't even have a pull-up. Um, you don't even need it, though, right? That's, that's yeah. the thing. It's, it's there. And throughout it, it goes on about how the law, like you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? You're supposed to love this God. And these words are to be written on our heart and we're supposed to teach them to our children and talk of them when we sit in the house and when we walk in the way and when we lie down and rise up, bind them on your hand. They shall be as frontlets on your eyes, mm-hmm. write them on the doorposts of your house and in your gates, right? That this doctrine that we have one, that there is one true God is central to the biblical religion. Like this is, this is the key. He's saying, write this on, like, Mark yourself with this. Tell your children this. Talk about it when you sit down and sip spirits. Um, there's the the DT translation. Um, but right, like that's really yeah. important. Um, now, I used to wrestle around this word uh, a little bit. And when I was studying this, it's interesting that the word that's used for one uh, in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is not... The only word, like there's other words that could be used for one that would include one, like just numerically valued one. But this word had is the word that you would use for one cluster of grapes mm. or one army. So it could be a, 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 a singularity of plurality or a unity of plurality. It doesn't have to, it doesn't demand that read. Yes. But it's certainly just like Elohim compatible with it. And that's what we're trying to drive out here is that this isn't just like something that comes out of that comes out to totally contradict everything that came before in the Old Testament, but rather, right? What does Jesus say on the road to Emmaus? The you know, the prophets, the writings, the law, it's all about me. And how mm-hmm. can he say that to them unless he is the Lord, the one who was in the garden, who was at Sinai, who was in the days of David, right? It's really important. Um, Obviously, we're about to get to like the really, really, aside from Hebrews, like the high Christology of the New Testament here. Um, and Justin, where are we heading? Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this. Uh, yeah. If we jump into John 1.1, 1, 1, and uh, we'll we'll go all the way through 18 because there's a lot here um, regarding uh, the Trinity. Um, but we start off with John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, meaning Christ. And the word was with God, okay? He's with the Father. And the word was God. Mm. He's with God. 
He's prastone theon, right? He's face to face with God. Yes. He is face to face with the Father in unity, but distinct from the Father, yet he is God. He mm. was in the beginning with God eternally in the beginning. If we if we're looking here at the at the Greek, we're we're going all the way back. As far back as you want to go, you can keep going. All things were made through him. All things, not most things, not everything yeah. else, not all, uh, or as the Jehovah's Witnesses do, they have to mess with the scripture here. They have to say all yeah. other things. He oh. was a God and all other things were made. Right? That's not in the text. All things were made through him and without him, not anything was made that was made. <laughs> Nothing. Right. I so mean, even if you were going to say all other things, here. Right. right, you you can't get around it because... No. Not uh, without him was not anything made that was made. So if something's created, it's created through the logos or the Mm -hmm. word. And he continues in him, God, Christ, the word was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Mm. There was a man sent from God whose name was John and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. So he was not God, <laughs> hmm. but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So again, we're still speaking of Christ here, still, mm. still speaking of the world. He's coming into the world, but he's talking of God. God is coming into yeah. the world. Hmm. He was in the world and the world was made through him. <laughs> Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Now, total little side tangent here. Whenever someone says, oh, but we're all God's children. No, this right here is your proof. We are not God's children. If you believe in Christ, you are given the right to become a child of God, but you are not a child of God just because you're made in his image and you're a creation of God. Moving forward. Um, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, Christ, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? He wasn't created as mm. we saw in the very first right. verse here. He was eternal going back as far as you want to go, but he became flesh. He yes. took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, which John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Right. We, we recognize that John was conceived first. Yet Christ, he says, was before him. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. Mm. So, the only God who is at the Father's side. Well, if the Father's God, who's the God that's at the Father's side? Mm. He has made him known. This is the way. (laughs) speaking of the way i just wanted to make a little tiny reference here since we're talking about the apostle john and then before him obviously we're speaking uh, of john the baptist who came to make him known right 
if we turn back to Isaiah, or as some call it, the gospel of Isaiah, what's happening here, right? Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. This is Isaiah 40. That her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And what is John doing? He's going before the Lord and preparing the way for the Lord who's coming, right? He comes to testify of the light, but he was not the light. Yeah, this this section is so rich. Like we could spend a whole <laughs> you series. You could say he was saying this is the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we could spend a whole series just on the first three verses here. Yep. And I think obviously like once we get to the bottom, it's very clear that we're talking about he came to his own, his own people did not receive him right jesus was born a jew under the law he lived fully under the law and his people didn't receive him they rejected him right um he he became flesh and dwelt among us right it's very clearly speaking about christ but as we go here right in the beginning in uh was the logos the word and the logos prostheon right was with god uh and the word was God. Now, there's an argument here. Of, I, I actually left out the definite article that's before uh, Theon in verse 1 there because that's one of the big arguments of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, there's not a definite article after the word was God. Tony talks about this in one of his episodes. I think it's the Arianism episode of um, Reformed Brotherhood, which you guys should all go listen to. And he talks about this like, he's like, technically in the Greek, it's more like God the word was, if you were to translate it directly. So y- you you run into this weird or what God was, the word was. So there is what's happening in John 1, 1 is both identification and distinction with God. In the beginning was the word, right? Eternality. Mm -hmm. The word was with God, distinction, face to face with God. The word was God, identification, essential identification. So like right there, like we, the text is there. And the gymnastics, I I sat down with some Unitarian friends of mine, and the gymnastics that it took to get around this verse were remarkable. Like, really novel, interesting stuff about how somehow these passages here, like somehow it's jumping from like talking about God and his his word as this like abstraction, like, well, yeah, God's word is is God, like like God's promises are as good as God, like to then now it's talking about John the Baptist, to now it's talking about like God creating everything, to now it's talking about Jesus. Like Jesus doesn't really show up till verse 14. Like y- you have to totally bifurcate the gospel. And right, what's the point mm-hmm. of the gospel of John, right? Why does he write these things? That we may believe. <laughs> so if it's this bifurcated opening, then what was the point? Why would he do that? Yeah. Why would he bifurcate the opening of his gospel? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's really important like but but it is important right because there are so many who deny this doctrine on the basis of well it's not scriptural but it is though that's the thing yeah it is and then we could go to colossians 1 right 115 he that's christ is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation and that that phrase there is what arius latched onto right like a firstborn. leech what they lack what they lack is understanding what that word actually means right right firstborn is a matter of preeminence uh, right it has to do with his status it has nothing to do with being born first <laughs> right and that was Arius's point was well he's the yes. firstborn you know he's the demiurge he's the god that's created by the greater god and is used to create all things no no 
Yes, preeminent. And I think it's clear if you keep reading, right? Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, yep. all things were created through him and for him. So and, here, and, back to back to 1 Corinthians, right? right. <laughs> all things, yeah. you know, for the Father, from the Father, through the Son, to the Son. But here, all things are created through him right. and for him. And it continues. He <laughs> right. is before all things. Right. And in him, all things hold together. He's right. the head of the body in the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that mm. in everything he might be preeminent. It's right. in the text. But but it's, also, if that was all vague, if we were uncertain to this yeah. point, like, well, what's, what, are you, what are you getting at here, Paul? <laughs> what's he say in verse 19? Right. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I'll I'll wait. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Right. (laughs) I mean, right. Those who take issue with the Chalcedonian definition, very God, very man, truly God, truly man. You know, full deity. Mm-hmm. Guys, it's right here. You like you don't have to go, you don't even have to come up with other language. It's it's in yes. the text. And in this context, too, right? We're flowing. We're not just pulling this verse. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. All things so so I think Paul is telling us here, and John in, in his gospel, and Paul in the letter to the to the Colossians, Jesus is the creator. Like he, he so he is on the creator side of the creator creature distinction, which means he's divine. Like there, <laughs> mm-hmm. there isn't another category here. Um, and before we jump to the last one here, I just wanted to quickly pull Hebrews one real fast, just to drive this point home just a little bit longer, right? The author to Hebrews long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he, that is the Father, created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, right? Or we would say, that, you know, the, a different subsistence within the substance of deity, right? And and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hmm. What? Okay, let's go back, yeah, right? Genesis 1, he created all things, right? We see throughout the Old Testament, God speaks by his word. Jesus upholds all things, the universe by the word of his power. I, <laughs> listen. Listen. We don't want this to turn into an entirely Christological episode. Right, that's true. Because You're right. we are going right. to do, right. do an episode on Christology. You're right. Uh, probably, I just got excited. Probably several. And I, I don't blame excited. me for getting excited. Uh, but it's not just, right, we're, we're, we don't believe in a, in, in, in a binary. two. Right. <laughs> right. We believe in a trinity. So mm-hmm. let's take a look at the spirit, right? If we jump to Hebrews uh, 9... Uh, we can see pretty well fleshed out the eternality of the Spirit, right? Um, so we'll start with verse 11. It says, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to, that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all uh, into holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Okay, first of all, there's Christ's deity again, which is mm. everywhere in the text. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of of a heifer sanctify for the purity of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, 
who, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. So we see right here, oh, uh, right, we, we, we recognize, we can see through the creeds that the spirit proceeds, uh, or the, the, right, the spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Yes. And we can see here that the spirit is being referred to as eternal. Mm. And we recognize eternal means all the way back, as far yes. as you want to go, never ending right. infinity, go back go back a infinity. few episodes uh to to the part four on on uh theology proper where we we talked about eternality or maybe it's part five right um so we see the so we see the holy spirit being uh re- eternal there we can also jump to psalm 139 um which is starting in verse seven uh says where shall i go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? So we recognize the omnipresence of the Spirit here, right? We can't escape the presence of God because of the Spirit being omnipresent. Um, yeah. Right, and then First Corinthians 2, mm-hmm. verse 10, right? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, uh, for the Spirit is the impersonal force by which God is manifest in the know. Get out of here. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's own thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Hmm. Who knows the thoughts of Blake except the spirit of Blake that is in Blake? <laughs> I am my spirit, okay? So who knows the spirit of God or who you know who knows the depths of God except the spirit of God? Who is God? I, I, <laughs> I, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Which also, you know, you go into Isaiah, you go into Job, right? Who has searched the depths of God? Who was his counselor, right? Who taught the Lord wisdom? Yeah. <laughs> Only yeah, God right. himself. Well, right, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> Only the Lord himself. But we can go back to the beginning, right? We can go back to the beginning of creation. And, and Justin, what, what do we got there in Genesis 1? Let's, look, let's, let's, we can let's see, look, we can see the entirety of... Uh, of the Godhead being being present in several places, right? In total mm-hmm. unity, but also in deity uh, throughout Scripture. So if we look at Genesis 1, just in the very beginning, in creation, we see hmm. in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Mm. I mean, mm. right. And remember, <laughs> right. All So John one, Colossians one, Hebrews one, all speak of Christ as creator, as involved mm-hmm. in creation, as right. Everything was made through him. Nothing was made through that th- that was made except through the word, right? The word yeah. and Colossians one and Hebrews one uh, affirm the same thing. Well, what do we see here? God, God created, right? But how did God create, right? It was without form and void. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So how did God create? By his word. Everything that was made was made through the word. The word is God. The word is the son, the spirit of God, right? So here you have it. It's all there in Genesis 1. It's in the first verses of the Bible. Yeah. If you have eyes to see, if you're willing to see, right? And then we come to the most quoted passage. In the New Testament, the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament, which is what? Psalm 110. Bro. <laughs> Psalm 110. Whew. It is brilliant. 
So it starts off, the Lord says to my Lord, hold up. What? He says, what? what? The Lord says to my Lord? What? So we're speaking. Now, this is David writing this psalm. Right. The king of David is saying that God is saying to his God, (laughs) the Lord is saying to his Lord, the Lord of David, which is whom? Christ. The Lord is saying to Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, which is Mm. also one of my favorite post-millennial verses, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> well, we see this right in, in, in the apostle, you know, in the gospels in the apostles acts and in revelation, right? Clearly this is, this is a picture of Christ's ascension. Yes. Post, post incarnation, post, uh, death, burial, resurrection, right? Post His ascension. Millennial. Oh my gosh. This <laughs> guy, get him you out of here. I, I did. I did. I did. That's true. I can't, I can't complain. Spike that ball. Um, right. But this isn't just saying Lord and Lord, right? In, in the Hebrew, there's a little bit more going on here. Right, we have, uh, we have Yahweh says to my Adon. Right, David has a Lord, and David's Lord is Jesus. Right, D- Jesus, who is the the shoot of Jesse, as we see in Isaiah, the one who comes after Jesse, a- after mm-hmm. David in the line, but he is also the root of Jesse. If you read that passage, Jesus is not only the shoot that comes from David's line, but he's the root behind David's line. So, (laughs) and he has preeminence over David, right? And so this is the scene in heaven. Yahweh, God, says to my Adon, to my Lord. And we see this throughout the whole Old Testament. We see this picture, right? You see this in the prophets, this picture of this divine son of man, particularly in Daniel and in his, we're not going to go there tonight because this isn't a Christological episode, but just to drive the point home, this is throughout the Bible. This isn't just like some novelty. Um, and then cycling back obviously to first Corinthians, cause I think it'll, it'll hit a little bit different as the kids are saying, uh, <laughs> in light of everything we just studied. <laughs> My yeah, man. Looking at first Corinthians, uh, chapter eight, if we start at one verse one, go through verse six, uh, sorry, that just hit me funny. Um, now different. concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But mm. if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Right, We touched on this a little bit already. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and earth, and indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Mm. Mm. So in light of what we've read so far... (laughs) Right. <laughs> that should become significantly clearer. And and this is one of those uh, sort of reform principles, right? That right. The, the principle of tota scriptura, right? We, we understand scripture and we let scripture interpret scripture, right? We right. understand uh, passages are sometimes difficult. However, when we look at the total totality of scripture yes. um, in its context and mm. follow it the way it was intended to be followed, things yes. become significantly clearer. It becomes much more easy to see the deity of Christ and the unity of the Father and the Son and the Spirit through mm. the scriptures as we read them from beginning to end, which is why proof texting doesn't always work, right? Proof texting right. is not often helpful 
because mm. what you're doing is you're taking a verse without necessarily any context uh, to make an argument. Um, sure. And so it's important to, like, as we just saw here, um, understand a little bit more of a broad, um, encompassing view of things. Right. Well, I mean, one of my favorite verses growing up as a Unitarian was Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Mm. And I would end there. I would just say, See, God's not a man. He's not the son of man. Jesus can't be God. There it is. Like, it's plain as day. I don't know how you guys can't get this. Have you ever read this? You know, it's, it's kind of like the Arminian thing of John 3. Have you guys ever read John 3.16? Whosoever <laughs> believes. Um, but again, what did I do? I forgot the rest of the verse here. Uh, he's not a, the son of man that he should repent. He hath said, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken? And shall he not make it good? What is the point in Numbers 23 here? The point is not saying that the incarnation is an impossibility. It's, it's reaffirming the distinction between divinity and humanity. Mm-hmm. And it is affirming the character and the attributes of God distinct from sinful fallen kings and men and judges and leaders who fail them. It is an affirmation of the fact that Yahweh will keep his promises. It is not so much a statement of saying, well, the, the incarnation is an impossibility because God is not a man. Therefore, the incarnation. And, and, and again, we're not Yetikians. So we're not saying, which we'll get to in Christology, but we're not saying that in the incarnation, the son blends his deity with divinity, with humanity. In fact, we are rejecting that explicitly. Mm-hmm. So the verse is still true. That's the thing. Like all these so-called proof, to, you know, this proof texting pile up is no use at the end of the day, because what we're trying to do is see the context, to see Toto Scriptura, the analogy of Scripture, right? Scripture interpreting Scripture. And of course, we come to the Great Commission, right? Listen, this is the best part. This part here? Matthew 28. Dude, it's here. It's Matthew so 28. Good. It's even yeah. in red in Lagos. <laughs> it is in red in Lagos, so, so it means pay attention, right? So Yes. Jesus came to them and he said this. Mm. And again, uh, I love this verse. This is, uh, <laughs> it's powerful. Yes, it is. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, this is Jesus speaking. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, not in the names of, but in the name of the Father (laughs) and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hmm. also this is a yeah this is a singular noun the the word for name is singular yes so this is again why knowing the greek can be helpful right i just i just did that with logos i pulled i right clicked on the word and Mm -hmm. it showed me the greek word it showed me uh name or person but it it noted the case of it it's a noun Singular singular noun so this, is, it, this isn't just like people playing fast and loose with translation to get to their desired result. This is literally, what it, right? Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the singular name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Like that baptism. Now that on its own, you know, maybe you could read around it, but when you take that in context with the verses that affirm the deity of the Father and the deity of the Son and the deity of the Holy Spirit, and you take that with all the strong, uh, unrelenting verses about monotheism. What are we left with? Well, there's only one God, but there's three who are identified as that one God. 
And yet these mm-hmm. three are truly distinct. They're not merely modes of God. They're not masks. They're not parts of God. So what are we left with? The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. These three persons are distinct, yet there's one divine essence. And what we also, I, I don't know if we said this last week in the heresy episode, we're not saying that the divine essence is somehow like a fourth person or a fourth entity or like the, the will of God that's somehow abstracted from the persons. We want to be very careful to not say mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Persons are distinguished from one another, yet they all are, uh, you know, the fullness of deity. The right. fullness Equal of deity power, Right. Right. Exactly. One right. essence. Right. One, one essence, will of God. Three in persons. There's one, one will. will of God. Right. And in a couple of weeks... We're going to be talking about the inseparable operations of the persons of the Trinity, which just get right out of your mind blown. It's going to be crazy. Uh, Which, before we jump to our recommended reading, Justin, what's going on next week? Yeah, next week is going to be awesome, Uh, even though we recorded this uh, quite a while ago now. Um, But uh, next week will be the topic of divine impassibility, (gasps) which is awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, we are joined by our good friend, Dr. Dr. Samuel Renahan. Um, so pleased to have him back with us. It was a lot of fun. And I know he'll be back again because mm. we just have too too good of a time. Uh, and we are going to be tasting Angels Envy bourbon with him. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun. It's going to be super. Guys, if you're not on Patreon, really, you should check it out because we always have uh, really good extra conversations with our guests. And Sam always stays yeah. quite a bit longer and enjoys some great conversation with us. So you should For head sure. over there and and join us there um and you get to see see the interaction we have with him as well and uh with our good friend eric uh who joins us for the episode uh we haven't had eric on in a while we are so happy to have him back um and i deeply miss that mustache so uh if you if you miss the mustache join us on patreon come come over and hang out with us it was a lot of fun yeah join Uh, us at uh 4.99 a month uh less than the price of an expensive latte at starbucks or at 14.99 a month and after three 14.99 a month and after three months we will send you a patreon exclusive mug uh and we're also working on some extra like uh bonus episodes for for those patrons as well so thank you guys for supporting us yeah boy um anyway uh again we we will recommend to you many of the same things we recommended to you already for reading um the trinity is such a vast topic to, to to learn about uh, so check out the creeds and the confessions, especially the Nicene Creed mm-hmm. or the Athanasian Creed. Uh, check those out at reformstandards.com. Yes. Um, also, uh, you should you should just buy a copy of those things yourself because Indeed. they're awesome to have. And besides, with the way the internet's going, they're going to take down all the Christian stuff someday anyway, let's be honest. So, <laughs> Pirate radio, uh, man. Pirate radio. Yeah, boy. <laughs> uh, but also check out uh, Scott Swain's Introduction to the Trinity, uh, Matthew Barrett's Simply Trinity, uh, Michael Reeves, Delighting in the Trinity. Of course, James White's Forgotten Trinity. Uh, De Trinitates by Augustine. And then, of course, different chapters from Bobbing's Reformed Dogmatics or Van Maastricht's Practical Theoretical Theology. Right. Uh, or, or Calvin's really any, Institutes. Yeah, yeah, or or really any good systematic theology. Um, yeah. Check them out. Don't check out Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. Yeah, actually, that, especially that's, on this topic, let's yeah, let's do some some unrecommended reading yeah. on this topic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, don't read Grudem's systematic on this topic because mm-hmm. Grudem apparently in his second edition he has doubled down on the eternal subordination of the sun or the eternal functional subordination of the sun. Which when we get to Christology, we'll talk on it a little bit more. But basically, what he's saying it's a is a problem. That, he's saying that the sun, you know, functionally like ad extra, not ad intra. Not not internally in God's 
you know, ontology, but at extra, how he how he operates. But eternally, before there was anything, eternally, he's functionally subordinate to the father. And he uses this to to write out his gender view. And I'm like, dude, why? Hence my joke earlier, right? It's just like, what are you doing? Um yeah. and there's a lot of content like I wouldn't read William Lane Craig on any of this stuff. I think William Lane Craig is good on some things. I would not touch him on anything theology proper related. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few others that I, I'm trying to recall. I'm having a hard time off the cuff because I largely blank them out. And I just rather than giving like denials, I largely just do affirmations yeah. of like, yeah. just read these better sources. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's important to to bear these things in mind. And also, I would I would add to this list James Dolis, all, all that is in God, mm, yes. uh, because while simplicity isn't, you know, directly, it's not a, it's not as big a doctrine as the Trinity in some senses. For me, that book was actually a huge piece in the puzzle that that sealed the deal for me, moving from a Unitarian read to a Trinitarian read, because divine simplicity, if if we hold it consistently, it completely rejects any trithism or any partialism oh yeah and it rejects modalism because there can't be change in god so the idea of god shifting modes doesn't work right and so what are we left with like whatever and whoever and however god exists is how he always has and how he always will right his name his covenant name i am i am that i am yahweh right i am that i am the existent one god is and he will be Right. There is no change. There's no shadow of turning with him. The I, the Lord do not change. So definitely go check that out as well. And for those of you guys that, you know, are looking for that deep, like it's a deep book and it will challenge you. And uh, I think you'll really find it refreshing. And Justin, if folks want to see more pictures of books and recommendations of whiskey, where can they go? Yeah, guys, check us out on social media. We are on Facebook. Of course, you can like our page and join our group. Uh, it is for sage stagers only, though. So if you're uh, if you're in the cage stage, maybe wait a couple of months before you join our group, uh, because uh, it's all too peaceful and wonderful in there. Uh, we have uh, we have a, a lot of fun. Uh, also, check us out on Instagram at Distilling Theology. Uh, you can mm. get all kinds of book recommendations, whiskey recommendations, and just really cool looking content there. Yes. Um, as well as we've had some very interesting conversations in the comments there as well. So. Uh, check show. us out on Instagram. Uh, we have a Twitter, but don't bother because it's uh, it's for boomers. And um, yeah, yeah. Also check us out on uh, as we've touched on already Patreon. Uh, we'd love for you to join the DT family uh, yes. and really participate. Look, you can come on. You can vote on whiskeys that we drink. For goodness sakes, uh, true. And you get a discount in the store. For goodness sakes. Uh, right. So check us out there. Uh, we'd love to have you. And Blake, somehow, some way, people want to fill their ears with more good content besides just distilling theology. We have somehow managed to maintain our status with whom the society of reform podcasters a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a reform perspective the shows include assurance of pardon the bobcast christ in context distilling theology fast god stuff five points church planting podcast guilt grace gratitude reformed brotherhood reformed pilgrims restless seeker start Sippin' on Theology, Steady Anchor, and the Particular Baptist Podcast. You can get all these shows at reformedpodcasts.com and subscribe to the mega feed to get the entire back catalog of these programs and all of our future and forthcoming episodes. We highly recommend it. Guys, I've learned a bunch listening to these other shows. And related to our topic, as we kind of wrap up our mini-series here on the Trinity, 
go listen to the Trinitarian and, and Trinity heresy episodes done by Reformed Brotherhood. Go listen to the God Is series from Reformed Pilgrims. Listen to Austin Rifle's series on Sipping on Theology, talking about the God who is triune and speaking about the issues of Jehovah's Witnesses and the Trinity under fire. Mm. Listen to the interviews that the particular Baptist podcast has had. Like, these guys are doing great work, and we're really grateful to share a platform with them. And uh, it's it's been amazing. And just one other comment on Patreon. We're so, so grateful for our patrons. Thanks to them, we've been able to finally upgrade our microphones. Um, mine is still uh, in transit, but Justin's had his, so the audio quality should be stepping up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and it's just amazing. <laughs> so thank you so much to our patrons. They help us cover our costs. We really could not do this show without you guys and uh so thank you and thank you to everyone who's left us a, a review on itunes um if you guys enjoy the show please head over there leave us a five-star review tell us your thoughts um it really helps us it helps other people get exposed to the show and uh yeah it's been pretty awesome so thanks for hanging out with us tonight guys yeah absolutely look share the show with your friends because yes. it's a lot of fun and um and we'd like to have more people get exposed to some of these resources and some of these yes. guests that we've had on Yes. Uh, Blake and I don't really do this for us. We're just kind of our uh, a couple of goofy guys who like to talk about theology, and we're happy yeah. to be able to provide sort of a a vehicle to mm. these resources for you guys. Uh, if we're able yeah. to um, to edify and to bless you guys with conversations with some of these brilliant men, mm-hmm. um, then I mean that's we've successfully done our job, I think, and Amen. and we enjoy doing it. So um, yeah. yeah, guys, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink. To all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria.